Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about taking things personally. This was a a recommended episode from a couple of people who felt like either they were taking their kids' anxiety or OCD personally, or their partner was, or maybe a relative, like a grandparent or an aunt or uncle, or even if you have a close family friend. It is or even a sibling, let me just add that in there too. It can be pretty easy. It's not a far leap to take anxiety or OCD behaviors or struggles personally. So I'm going to break this down, this episode. I'm going to talk about the many different ways this can show up for you because I was brainstorming and I'm like, wow, there's actually a lot of different ways we can take these things personally. So I'm going to go over some of them because maybe you haven't realized that you are taking some of this personally. And then we're going to talk about what to do instead. Because as you know, I always like to not only highlight maybe a struggle or a challenge, but I also like to provide, you know, a new way of thinking about something or a new way of doing things. The hope is that you listen to this podcast in general and you have takeaways. That's my goal and I hope I'm meeting it. Uh, so before we get started, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They are available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. And you know, when you get a good OCD therapist, they will be able to help you see what is anxiety or OCD and what is is not you or your parenting. So find an OCD therapist, can't find one, call an OCD because they're in almost every area. It's crazy how big they've grown. Okay, so I want to talk to you about things that we take personally, and this will be different for each one of you. So I'm going to go through my list, and maybe as I go, I'll talk about how we can kind of shift our, our thinking on these things so that you're getting some some ways to to reframe or look at issues differently. Okay, so let's just dive right into this. The first one, and I think the most global general one is I'm a bad parent. I'm a bad parent because my child is having these struggles and so I can't get them under control. I'm a bad and this I'm going to go over a lot of different scenarios. These can change depending on like your full understanding of anxiety or OCD. And so I think you start off with people thinking that they have somehow caused their child's anxiety or OCD in an environmental way. You know, my child is doing this and, you know, I don't know why they're doing that. This happens, I think, maybe even more with anxiety because anxiety is like, why is my child scared? I obviously did something that was wrong that didn't convey to them that they're safe, that they're safe. With OCD, I I still see that happening with some parents, but not as much. But then we can say, okay, well, I know I didn't cause it environmentally. Maybe I made it worse. Maybe I genetically caused this. So sometimes in my therapy sessions, I start off with 
normalizing anxiety or OCD. And, you know, I meet only with the parents the first session and talk about how this isn't their fault. You know, that anxiety or OCD is highly genetic. And I say that to make them feel better. And I say that to the AT parenting community members too, who are in that self-blaming spin cycle. And some of them, not a lot of them, but some of them will use that to feel bad. Well, these are my bad genes. This is my bad genetics. I caused this on a genetic level. And then I feel really bad because I'm like, well, that's not my intention. I mean, all three of my kids have different levels of anxiety and OCD because it's highly genetic in my house too. But I'm like, you know what? Diabetes is rampant in my family too. And my kids don't have diabetes yet, knock on wood. <laughs> so, you know, that's awesome. I, I rather them actually have anxiety or OCD at this point than some of the other things that are in my family tree. We don't get to pick or choose, so it doesn't really matter what you want or what you don't want. But the bottom line is we all give our kids certain genetic things. We give them blonde hair or brown hair or blue eyes or brown eyes or, you know, whatever it is. And that's just part of the human condition that we do. We give our kids different genes. Some are good and some are not as good. So that's an important thing to remind yourself. Because if you're getting hung hung up on that, then you are taking away the energy that you can be using to have self-love and self-compassion for yourself so that you can be filled up so that you're able to help other people. If we are not fully filled up ourselves, we can't help our kids. Okay, let's move on from there because I do have a long list and I want to make sure that I hit a lot of these. The next one is I know exactly how my child can overcome a lot of their anxiety or OCD and I'm soaking up the knowledge or I'm doing what my partner told me to do and I'm following what the therapist said, and my child won't use their skills. So when they're having an OCD meltdown, and I do my part beautifully, you know, and I, and I respond, you know, you can fight your OCD, or we don't talk to your OCD, or that's your OCD, or maybe I just say we believe in you, you can handle this discomfort, whatever you're saying. And your child turns and their head spins and they bite your head off. Or They're doing compulsions left, right, and center. And you're like, stop doing that. We already talked about how that grows your OCD or they're avoiding. And you're like, we already talked about how that's, you know, growing your anxiety. And so you take their inability in this time period to use the skills that you're teaching them or the therapist is teaching them or both. And you take it personally. It's not about you. If they can't use their skills, It's because they are not able to. They're struggling. They're having a hard time. It's difficult to manage. And if any of us wanted to do better, we would do better. Kind of like the raw screen, you know, kids do better when they can or whatever his his saying is. He's got a little slogan there. But it's true that our kids will want, they would want to use the skills if they were able to use them because anxiety and OCD does not feel good. But we have to remember this isn't about us. And this can happen to me. I can take it personally because it triggers a couple things for me. One, you know, I, I want them to get better. And so when I see them doing something that I know is not going to get them better or is indicative of them not getting better, it can trigger me to say, oh gosh, slippery slope, here we go. They can't keep doing this. This is going to grow their anxiety or OCD or can give me some post-traumatic stress. Oh no, here we go again. 
you know, what if he doesn't eat? What if it turns out to be like it was before? Then he's going to starve. He'll be G-tubed, whatever. I'm just giving you my own examples. For me, it goes even further. And it, it says, you're a bad therapist. This is embarrassing. You can't even help your own kids. How are you going to help other people's kids? If anybody knew about this, you're a big failure. And you might get that on some other level. You might be a therapist. I know there's a lot of therapists in my community who have their own kids with anxiety or OCD because anxiety and OCD is common. And I mean, I went into this field before I even had kids. So it's not even like it was a calling because my kids were struggling. It was just, it was just part of my DNA. (laughs) But maybe you're a protector and you feel like it's your job to protect your kids from anything, any harm, and you feel hopeless. And maybe you feel emasculated if you are a man and you can't protect your child or you can't, you know, make things better and you're a fixer, right? You have to look at your personality. Am I a fixer? And this is making me feel like a failure because I'm a fixer. That's what I do. You know, I am the, you know, knight in shining armor. I come in and I make sure everything in my family is going well. You know, everything's functioning right. The refrigerator is going well. Like, plumbing is good and my kids' mental health is good, you know? And I say that because I do feel like sometimes, you know, some of us can have partners or maybe it's ourselves where we want everything to go well. We want everyone to be healthy and happy. And we are coming up against something that's bigger and badder than, than us. And we don't know, we might feel hopeless and overwhelmed and that can turn into taking it personally, right? We might get angry when our children won't lean into their anxiety or OCD, or we get angry when we see them doing compulsions, or we get angry and we make it about us. We make it about our relationship with them. And that is dangerous because it's not about you. It's about your child. And we inadvertently add another layer of struggle to the child or teenager because they can feel that animosity and they can feel that struggle. And so that becomes another layer. And it doesn't help you because you don't want to help them anymore because you, you're like, you know what? I'm peace out. <laughs> you know, like I'm done here. Tap me out because I have tried and you're an ingrate. And I'm saying it because these are the thoughts that some of us can get. These are thoughts I've had. I'll be honest with you. There have been times where I'm like, you know what? You do this yourself. Like you have an in-home therapist practically. Like I'm done. And we all go through stages like that. But then you have to come back full circle and say, you know, maybe we were going too fast or, you know, maybe I don't have to highlight every time they're doing a compulsion or maybe I don't have to take it personally. It's not about them. Maybe I have to take a pause and go out of the room and remind myself they're having a hard time. We have to do those things. Okay. So moving on from there is contamination. So a lot of times contamination can be very annoying (laughs) and I don't mean to laugh at that, but like, I can't think of another word. First, there's emotional contamination. So you can have family members who are contaminated and it is very hard to not take that personally. When you are literally like ground zero for the contamination and everything you touch gets contaminated because you're ground zero, it's almost like, how can you not take that personally? But, you know, emotional contamination isn't always because there's something wrong with you or they don't like you. A lot of times it's the person they love the most. And so OCD is like that. It can target the things that the person values and and loves the most, including human beings. And so emotional contamination doesn't always have anything to do with the person that's contaminated. It might be that you touched something a while back 
that is actually ground zero for contamination. And now you're what I call red, you know, the red world of contamination. And so that's a tricky one. And that might take a lot of work to remind yourself that your child doesn't get to pick who is contaminated. OCD picks that because if they had control, they wouldn't have OCD to begin with because they could kind of like zap it away. And so OCD picks what's contaminated, not your child. And it's not their fault. And a lot of times they're going to feel so bad for, for having certain things be contaminated, including the people that they love in their house, or they feel so bad and guilty that they are causing and wreaking havoc in the house when their brother sat on the couch and now they can't sit on that couch or you can't come into the room or you can't go in their room because it's contamin- you're contaminated or maybe you're not always contaminated, but you have to take a shower or you're being bossed around by your child's OCD. Just remember, OCD is choosing those things. OCD is creating those rules. That's not your child. And that will be hard to remember all the time because you're human and you're going to forget that because we all have emotions that just naturally bubble up. Then you might have to take a break and remind yourself, okay, OCD is choosing this. OCD is finding this contaminating, not my child. It doesn't mean that you don't work on it. You know, hopefully you're getting, you're, you're, not, you're not interpreting it that way. I'm not saying at all, we're going to accommodate these things or accept them, or let OCD like rule the roost. But we want to guard ourselves and our heart from taking these things personally. Because when we take them personally, we actually aren't operating from a blank slate, which is a hard place to operate from. It's hard to obtain a blank slate, but we want to get as close as we can. We are operating from a lens of hurt. When we operate from a lens of hurt, we're going to be spewing more emotion and anger or pain, we're adding that to this, to the situation than just, you know, seeing it for what it is, which is it's the battle with anxiety or OCD. It's not the battle with you or your child. Okay. The same thing can happen with intrusive thoughts. Your child can have really horrible intrusive thoughts about you. And maybe they don't want to share it with you. Maybe they only share it with a therapist. So maybe you take it personally that they can't quote unquote, open up to you. And they only open up to your therapist. I can understand where you can take that personally. My daughter talks to her therapist and she doesn't want me in there. She doesn't want me to hear anything. And I have to respect that, right? As they get older, or even if they're young, they need their own space. And sometimes OCD is going to give them thoughts about you, embarrassing thoughts. And again, OCD is choosing that, not them. (laughs) I remember when I was in my practice, a lot of times OCD would try to ruin therapy. And so it would attack me. And so kids would say, oh, you know, Natasha, I have an intrusive thought. I don't want to tell you it's embarrassing, you know, and they'll say like, I have an intrusive thought that you're fat (laughs) and I gained a little weight over, over the years, but it's like, I didn't take that personally because, you know, I think like sometimes when I would hear these things, because that happened quite a few times where people would have intrusive thoughts about me, like that you're stupid or that you're not helping or that you hate your kids or that you're fat and that's moral OCD, right? And so of course it's going to target the person who's trying to help. You know, and maybe like the first time I hear it, I'm like a little sting because you're like, oh man, you think I'm fat. (laughs) But then it's like, it's OCD. It's not them. And so it has nothing to do with our relationship. And, you know, of course my response is, okay, we'll tell OCD, thank you for that. You know, like wants to participate in our conversation. It wants to participate in our therapy, whatever. So just remind yourself because intrusive thoughts that you're stupid or that they don't love you. They might have a compulsion that they have to say, I don't think I really love you, or I I may or may not love you, or you say, I love you. And then they say, well, I don't know if I love you back. And that can hurt. I mean, how can you not take that personally? 
but it's OCD. And so it's just seeing it from that filter as well. Some other things is maybe they won't eat your food or maybe, you know, you cook them a great meal and then all of a sudden it's contaminated or you bring them an outfit and then you touch and you sit on their bed and you contaminate things. And that can get very, very frustrating. And you can take that personally. I created, I cooked this entire beautiful meal and now you won't eat it because maybe you think it's expired or you see a little dot or someone touched something and now it's contaminated. Whatever it is, it's going to look different for each one of you in different households with different themes. But you might get angry about that. You might even spew, I spent two hours working on this. But you always have to look at it from two filters, your regular parenting filter with your regular relationship with your child and the OCD filter. Is my child choosing to not eat this because they're being difficult or are they having a hard time eating this because of their anxiety or OCD? And replace food with anything else. Maybe you took them to soccer practice and And they couldn't make it and they had to go all the way home and it was an inconvenience for you. Or maybe they have a hard time going to school and they're making you late for work and you're going to get fired and you're really angry that they're putting the family's, you know, well-being and financial security at risk. But they're not. Their OCD is. And separating it out is so important, not only for you and your relationship with your child, but also for your child and their relationship and with themselves. You know, am I a bad person? you know, that hopelessness feeling, it doesn't mean that it's not frustrating. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to lose your cool sometimes and be like, oh my gosh, I have to go to work. I'm going to lose my job. You know, it doesn't mean that maybe you don't lose your cool and say things like that sometimes or think those things, but it's just always coming back to center. And it kind of reminds me of meditating because I've been trying to meditate a lot lately. And it's hard for me. Not only is it hard because I have, you know, crazy thoughts. My brain never wants to stop. I also think I have a little bit of sensory motor OCD because then when I start to focus on my breath, I can't breathe. (laughs) And then I'm like, when am I going to get my next breath? And then I wind up hyperventilating. And I'm like, maybe focusing on my breath is not a good thing. But what I find helpful for me when I'm meditating or trying to be mindful, I've been really working in the past year since my husband died on being in the moment and trying to be mindful, is that that's an impossibility that I will never be fully in the moment. When I meditate, my brain will go somewhere else or I will start to hyperventilate and then I come back to the breath or I come back to the moment or you know, I lose myself in my what ifs or my ego or whatever you know, and I'm gone for a little while mentally and then I have the awareness. I'm like, oh my gosh, I spent three hours you know, in this spiral focusing on this issue that is not in the moment, isn't present, and wasn't helpful. It made me feel horrible. But that waking up and coming back to the moment, coming back to the breath, or coming back to that presence, that's where the magic is. It's not about losing yourself. It's about being aware and then returning. And so I bring that up because I feel like that's very similar in parenting. We will lose ourselves, similar to me losing my breath. You know, we will lose our focus. We will say things, feel things, and think things that are not aligned with who we want to be as a parent. And it's the returning of that awareness that is the magic sauce. And that's a practice that's never done. Um, And that's what I'm learning about mindfulness and meditation is that living in the moment and being present is a practice, it's never done. 
And instead of beating myself up every time I lose my focus and I'm like, oh man, for two hours, I was on Facebook looking at this and that and feeling, you know, horrible. (laughs) And then I'm like, but you know what? I had the awareness and then I came back to the moment. And so that's, that's the magic. And that is the magic that I'm trying to foster in my life is to celebrate those moments because you're exercising those muscles. And so it's not about doing things perfectly. It's about waking up and having intention after the fact and saying, oh man, I took that personally. That wasn't about me. Let me think, why did I take that personally? Oh, I know why I took that personally because I felt like I was unappreciated. Maybe you go deep. You know, that's kind of a theme in my life. I have felt unappreciated. My parents didn't really make me feel appreciated or my other relationships didn't make me feel appreciated. And so she hit a nerve, but I have to remind myself that was just her OCD. She didn't mean to hurt my feelings. And that, that's the sweet spot. That's what we want is the awareness and you'll never hit that perfectly. It's just being able to wake up and come back to awareness, wake up and come back to awareness and that intention of, you know, showing up for the next moment and showing up for the next moment. And so I just want to mention that when we're talking about all these things, I do have some more things on my list. So let me just continue. You might get frustrated when your child uses you to grow their anxiety or OCD. So what do I mean by that? Well, we talk a lot about accommodation and, you know, I talk a lot about how anxiety and OCD is a family affair. And especially with OCD, you know, a lot with anxiety too, but a lot of reassurance questions with OCD. It's like, you know, maybe even more overt, you know, like you need to say, you know, it's okay. Or you need to say this phrase in a certain way, or you need to take a shower or you need to wash your hands or you need to do all these things for me. And we might start to feel really resentful. Like you're using me to grow your anxiety or OCD. And I feel violated and abused because maybe that's a little too strong, maybe not violated and abused, but I feel used that not only are you not working on your anxiety or OCD, but now you're using me to grow your anxiety or OCD. So the reframe is it's your anxiety, it's your child's anxiety or OCD that's using you, and it will use whatever it can to grow. It's opportunistic. I say that a lot. And so you're just another pawn in anxiety or OCD's game. It's not your child. Your child doesn't want to, they just can't stop. It's hard. It doesn't mean that we don't motivate them and cheerlead them and, you know, try to build their skills and all the other things I talk about in all my other episodes, but it's also just there to recognize that they're not manipulating you. It's anxiety or OCD. And a lot of people use that word manipulate. My child's very manipulative. Well, anxiety or OCD will make them want to avoid discomfort at any cost. And yes, they can develop some pretty good manipulation skills sometimes because it's life or death. That's how it can feel. Like there's no way I can go there or there's no way I can touch that. I'm going to come up with very creative ways, manipulative ways even, to avoid that discomfort. And you know what? You would too, if you were feeling that level of discomfort that anxiety or OCD brings. So it's not about using you. The other thing is the opposition and the behavior, oof, difficult, right? And that again is something that's really hard to not take personally, especially when our kids start spewing things like, I hate you. You're the worst. You're not helping me. You're making it worse. <laughs> I've gotten that quite a lot in my house. You're not helping me. I also get the one of like, 
And you're a therapist? People pay you to get better when you can't even help me? (laughs) That's a doozy. But you know, for some reason, I don't take it personally. Like I can just see my child is spewing and their head is spinning. And I know all their words and everything they're saying isn't how they truly feel. Now, some have a harder time with that. And it could be for many different reasons. Again, you have to look at your own childhood, your own upbringing, your own triggers, your own story of what parenting would look like and your need for approval and love from your child. I've also been privy to, you know, thousands of kids with anxiety and OCD. So I know what is anxiety or OCD and what is my child. And so it helps to maybe separate that out. And also like, it's not one of my themes to be like my child's best friend. And so that's not one of my issues. There are other things, like if I'm feeling ignored, (laughs) I'll go ballistic. I mean, I can, if I'm like already in a bad space and then my child ignores me, I can go ballistic because being ignored is one of my triggers because of my childhood and feeling ignored growing up. A whole bunch of my own garbage makes me super sensitive to being ignored. So we want to look at what things we're taking personally based on our own history and our own triggers, because you might notice a theme in your life. The things that you're taking personally regarding your child with anxiety or CD are, it's a mirror. It's a mirror in life anyway. Sometimes I feel like I sound like a fortune cookie, but it is a mirror. Like I look at, and this is part of my growth work that I'm doing right now in my own little head, but when I start to feel jealous of someone or angry at someone or annoyed at someone, and it seems disproportionate for what happened, I'm like, wow, or I can't shake it off. I will ask myself, what was that about? And it's deeper. It's often deeper. It's almost always deeper than just the situation that you're looking at. You know, if they devalued your intelligence and so they made you feel stupid or they made you feel unheard or they made you feel futile or they made you feel disempowered. And then you have to ask yourself, so tap into the emotion. Oh my gosh, my daughter just made me feel stupid because I said something to her, like tell your OCD, we don't talk to her. And she said something like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You're such an idiot. You don't know what you're doing. And I lost it or internally I lost it because I'm just giving you an example because maybe I have been told I was stupid. Maybe my parents said I was stupid, or maybe I had a previous partner that said I was stupid. Whatever it is, if that's a trigger for you and that emotion and that feeling is a trigger, then that is something that you might take more personally. And so whenever you're taking someone's actions or a situation personally, whether it's your child or someone else, the first thing you want to do is identify the feeling that it's giving you. And for me, it doesn't like automatically happen. And you would think that it would because I'm a therapist, but something happened recently in my my own life. It didn't re- revolve around my kids and it offended me. And I had to say, you know, I was like, and I couldn't shake it off for like another day. I woke up and I was still offended. <laughs> I was like, let it go, Natasha. And then I said to myself, why are you so offended by this? I mean, and anyone would have been offended by it because I surveyed and people would have been offended by it, but I was obviously carrying it. I couldn't shake it off. And then I realized, you know, that it made me feel ineffective. There were a couple of things that it made me feel that were themes that were maybe in my life. So tap into that when you are taking your child's behaviors personally, because you will, because you're human. And even if it seems like, well, anybody would take that personally, that's not true. 
Because when my child says, I hate you, I don't take it personally. And I know a lot of parents do. And I'm not saying like, woohoo, look at me. I'm just saying that's not my trigger point. But when I say, hey, go take your cup and put it in the sink. And then I say it again, I say it again. And then they're ignoring me. If I'm in a bad place already, and I have to be already in a bad place because I've done a lot of work this past year. So I'm, I'm pretty Zen right now. I'm Zen enough that I notice when I'm not, let's just put it that way. And so if I'm not in a good place, you know, a lot of stuff has happened to me that day, that one will trigger me. I will take it personally. I'll say like, why aren't you listening to me? I hate being ignored. And I'll go on a tangent. When they have AirPods in their ears, they can't hear me. They like literally can't hear me, but I will go ballistic because that's a trigger. Now for you, you might say, ah, that doesn't bother me. Kids don't listen, whatever, you know, or they have AirPods. They like literally have headphones on. How can they hear you? It won't matter for me. So tap in, you know, this is a growth thing. Learn, learn something about yourself. Don't always make it about your child. We never stop growing. We never stop learning. And our kids are just another mirror for that. They're a conduit to our own growth. And if you see it that way, it actually can help because then it's not like they're a problem I need to solve. You know, there's something that needs to be fixed. It's like, welcome to life. Life is messy. Life can get ugly. Life is an experience and it is full of learning opportunities, not just for your child, but for you. And if you look at it that way, you'll grow as a human being along with your kids. Okay. I have a couple more that I want to mention that are positive, but are still not good. (laughs) You might take these personally. This is a weird spin on this, but like, as I was brainstorming, I just thought of these. You might take these personally in a good way, but they're still not good. (laughs) Does that make any sense? You'll see what I mean. So when your child doesn't want to be away from you, there is a part of some of us, not all of you, some of you might be like, oh my gosh, I have that. And there's nothing that feels good about it. But for some of us, there might be, if you're being honest with yourself, there might be a little part of you that goes, oh, it's so nice that she wants to be with me or that she can't be away with, away from me. Or if you have a child who has a hugging compulsion. You might be like, I really like that she just hugs me all the time. It's making me feel loved. Even if there's a part of you that knows, uh, I know the therapist said that hugging is part of her compulsion and she's even admitted it, but it feels really good to get the hugs or your child has to sleep with you. And there's a part of you that feels, it feels good and secure to you as well. And it feels like validating. Like my child needs me. They need to curl up to me. They need to, like, I make them feel safe. And you might have a situation where your child needs you in a different way. Like they need you to help them with their anxiety or OCD. You're on speed dial. (laughs) Do they even have a speed dial? I mean, I don't even think that that's a term anymore because you got cell phones. You just call somebody click, but anyway, they need you and maybe they can't talk to their dad or they can't talk to anybody else. They have to talk to you. Maybe they won't even talk to the therapist and it gives you a sense of importance. And so you're still taking those behaviors and actions personally but you're taking it personally on a, in a positive way, but that's still a slippery slope because, and I, I do want to preface with not everybody who experiences those things personalizes it in that way. Just like I don't personalize my daughter saying, I hate you. That doesn't happen to me, but it might happen to someone else. Uh, not everybody's going to personalize the child needing them in such a way as a, you know, yay me moment. You might just be like, oh my gosh, no, totally don't want that. But you have to ask yourself, if my child didn't need me, didn't need to sleep with me, 
or didn't hug me all the time, or didn't need to sleep with you, or didn't need you for their coping mechanisms, or could be away from you. And this is for those of you that have kids that do need some of those things. How does that hit the gut? You know, and that's something to ask yourself because a lot of times parents will say, no, no, I'll be fine. I'd be fine. But, you know, if you really shut your eyes and you imagine, you visualize your child doing all those things without you, not needing you at all. I have seen in my practice, a lot of parents, not all parents by, by any means, but there's, you know, a small portion of parents who felt unneeded unwanted. They felt like an absence of space because they were personalizing that anxiety and OCD behavior as a relationship instead of really seeing it what, for what it was, seeing it for what it was, which is an anxious attachment. Like I need you because I need you to feel good. I don't want you to need me. It's nice if you want me to support you, but that you don't need my support. And that has never really been a hundred percent something that's going on in my family. We never really dealt with separation anxiety. We never really dealt with my kids being like overly dependent on me. We have a million other issues. Don't worry about that. But that just wasn't one of our themes. But I will tell you that recently, I don't know, I would think this is like in the last six months, my youngest daughter has developed some of those behaviors. She used to always be like, I'm a daddy's girl. And she would almost do it like to put it in my face. You know, like she'd curl up, she'd curl up with him, you know, and she would like cuddle with him. And they didn't do a lot of things together, but she just liked to lay on him and lay near him. And then she would actually like verbally say, Mom, I'm a daddy's girl. <laughs> you know, I love daddy. I hope that doesn't bother you, you know, or like whenever we would go walking somewhere, she'd go grab his hand. And if I try to grab her hand, she'd go, nope, nope, I'm a daddy's girl. And it just, it honestly didn't bother me because that wasn't one of my triggers. I didn't, I wasn't perceiving it as a rejection and just, it just wasn't one of my triggers. I thought it was nice. And I was with her 24 seven and her dad wasn't, you know, cause he works and I work, but I worked different hours. So I, I actually thought it was nice and I wanted him to feel loved and supported. And I'm glad, you know, now that he's gone, I'm glad that they both had that. But when he passed away, there was like, you know, I obviously we were grieving and processing and stuff and she didn't glum onto me, but I would say in the last six months and we're, it's been about a year and a half at this point, maybe a little bit less, but I'm noticing like she's come into my bedroom a couple of like more than a couple of times, you know, in the beginning with grief, I totally got it. But now it's like, I can't sleep. Can I sleep with you? You know, and things that we never dealt with before and a lot of hugging on me and a lot of curling up to me and then just, and so I liked it. I was like, this feels good. Like I'm, she's a mommy's girl, you know, (laughs) like a forced mommy's girl, but it felt good. I took it personally. It felt good. It felt like there was a bond. And then I signed her up for a sleepaway camp. I talked about this in a couple of episodes recently and she couldn't do it. And one of the reasons was she was nervous to be away from me because she thought that I keep her safe and then it didn't feel so good. And then I thought, oh no, we're dealing with anxiety and OCD. And even though it felt good at first, like all this cuddling and loving and she needed, you know, and then I'm starting to discover like she needs me to kiss her forehead each night because, you know, otherwise something bad will happen. And all the things that I thought were cute and loving are anxiety and OCD. And that doesn't mean that we're not close and that our relationship isn't great, but the things that were feeling good and I was taking personally 
were more about anxiety and OCD. And those are things that I don't want. I want her to feel independent. I want her to feel like she can do things without me. And so that's something I we have to work on, regardless of if that feels nice to have her hugging on me all the time. That's not how she was before. And that's probably not her baseline. So that should have been an indication, but because it felt good. And I was like, oh, she's really cuddling on me. I was a little blind to what it really was. Not that I'm going to say, okay, you can't ever hug me again because it's not compulsive, but it was clingy. And so I just wanted to end on that because I think sometimes we think of taking things personally as all bad, you know, like it causes us anger and frustration. And sometimes taking it personally is more, it feels good and it feels like love and it feels like belonging and it feels like we're doing it right. And that's not good either when it's anxiety or OCD. Because anxiety, when it's anxiety or OCD, regardless of the feeling it's eliciting from us, it's not good because it's anxiety and OCD and it's not whatever we are interpreting it to be that's making it personal. So I hope that you found this episode helpful. I hope maybe it helped you just on a broader scale. That's my hope is sometimes these conversations move into a little bit more of just life in general and just how to view things in general, regardless of whether we're talking about our kids or just the way we, we approach each other or our own issues. And I hope you're enjoying my podcast. If you are, don't forget to hit a star and show your support that way. That really does help when you rate a podcast. If you have a few extra moments, you can leave a review. I greatly appreciate that. Well, I'm batching these, which means I am recording a bunch of these all at once. And so I'm recording this way ahead of time. And so no one has left another review because it's like been two minutes since I recorded my last episode, (laughs) but I hope that you are finding it helpful. If you do leave a review, I will be reading your review next time. I did. I batched. I think I recorded like four episodes ahead of time, which is pretty amazing. So you're listening to this and I recorded this probably like a month ago. So yay me, I'm ahead of the game. So I hope that you are enjoying your summer. I hope that things are going well. I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 